0: If you know me, you know that I'm a planner. I like to have all my ducks in a row and have everything organized and all of that. If you don't know that, then you just learned something new about me. Um, Generally, I have all my sermons planned out. Usually, sometime around this time of year, I sit down and start planning for the next year, and I begin to get all my sermons planned out. But this Sunday, I had a hole in my schedule. I was planning on doing communion, but I didn't have... A passage or a topic. As things happened this week, I wrestled a little bit with what to talk about this morning and I settled on a topic of the foundation of our faith. We've had a neighbor next door who's been building a garage. Well, he hasn't been building it. He had somebody come in and build a garage for him. Matter of fact, he had many people come in and build a garage for him. And where did they start on that? They came in and they brought some big equipment. And they started moving the dirt around and leveling and flattening. And then they dug out around the perimeter. Then they had cement trucks come in. My daughters enjoyed standing there watching some of all this happen. And cement trucks come in and pour the footers around the outside. They let that dry. A few days later, they came in and poured cement for the floor. Then, slowly but surely, they were adding pieces to the structure, and it went up pretty quick. It seemed like within a week, week and a half, it looked like a building. But why did they do it that way? Why didn't they just come in, dump some boards off of a dump truck, take a hammer and some nails, and just start pounding them together. Well, it probably wouldn't have lasted very long. It probably wouldn't have stood the test of time. It might not have even withstood a light rain like we're getting today. They did that because they wanted to make sure the foundation was secure. We've been traveling through the book of Acts, And I was thinking about our context of what we've been talking about. This week I want to take a step back from the book of Acts. This is the part in Acts. We've been in Acts chapter 16, 17, 18. This is the point where Paul begins writing some of his letters. Where Paul begins writing letters to some of the churches. As Paul is traveling and preaching, he begins to write to the Thessalonian church. To the church in Corinth, to the church in Galatia, and to the church that he wants to get to in Rome. He hears of issues from some of his traveling companions who, who are hearing news of what's happening in some of those cities, and he begins to have a burden on his heart for some of these issues and begins to write and address them. But there's a common theme If I were to take every one of Paul's books and boil it down, I would say the common theme between all of his writings, and he wrote a large portion of our New Testament, the common theme in all of his writings is one thing, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul is writing each of these letters to Christians. He's writing them to believers who have already believed in the gospel. So if Paul is writing to believers, why does he keep his emphasis on the gospel? Listen to how much Paul, Paul's letters are just saturated with the gospel. We're going to go through a lot of verses today. Some of them are going to be on the screen I'm going to have you look up several of them with me. Just an overview of some of Paul's letters. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Everybody say gospel. 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 Set apart for the gospel of God. It's right there in verse 1. Paul says, I was set apart for the gospel. A few verses later in verse 15 of chapter 1. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you, also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then Paul continues in the next 11 chapters of the book of Romans to spell out the gospel. The book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are probably the most comprehensive passages we have on what what the gospel is. Paul gives it to us. He tells about the sinfulness of man. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are Romans. The heart of the gospel. Paul spells it out. Doesn't stop there. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18... For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, Paul says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Over and over and over again, Paul emphasizes the gospel. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Open your copies of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, Paul writes this, verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. If Romans 1 through 11 is Paul's longest proclamation of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 is one of the most succinct but clear portions of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. I told you before of how I was in a seminary class once and the professor said to us, I want you to tell me what the gospel is in 15 words or less. And all of us were students, we're like rolling, and we're like, and then we start trying to listen to what other people are saying. And so I hear people trying to quote John 3 16, For God so loved the world that he. It comes out. Maybe it wasn't 15. Maybe it was 25. I don't remember. But he gave us a limited amount. But we began trying to fit. Okay, we're all sinners, but God created us, and we're going from Genesis, and we're all trying to fit everything in the Bible in the gospel. But the gospel in its most succinct form is that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day. I don't know how many words I fit that into, but that's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Go with me over to the book of Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1. Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's a break there. It stops. We were all very sinful. We were disobedient. Verse 4. But God. Where would we be but God? But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Over and over and over again, Paul proclaims the gospel. It doesn't stop in Ephesians. The book of Colossians. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's main focus... It was much like he told the Corinthians in chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul kept his message very simple. Paul's major emphasis in his letters was the gospel. I think every person that Paul encountered, every word that he spoke, every action he took was centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's focus was the gospel. He was radiating the gospel message. Look with me to one more passage in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Paul talks about all of his accomplishments. He says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Then he goes on to talk about all the things that he could be boasting in. But then in verse 7 he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss. As loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It says, I count them as a pile of trash. Have you ever been around some stinky trash? We threw out some things last week and I opened up our garbage. Oh man, that's bad. Paul said, I count them as garbage, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, everything that I could say is an accomplishment of mine. I count as a loss that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes to continually preach the gospel. But as I stated at the beginning, Paul is writing these letters, the ones we just looked at, to believers. They've already received the gospel, right? Why would they need to make the gospel a continual priority in their lives? A better question may be, why do we as Christians, why should we make the gospel a priority in our lives? Listen to these words from... Milton Vincent comes from a book called A Gospel Primer. He says, the gospel is so foolish according to my natural wisdom. It's so scandalous according to my conscience and so incredible according to my timid heart that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should there is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsal of the gospel. Milton Vincent saying here we need the gospel on a daily basis because of the things, the messages we tell ourselves that aren't true according to his word. He's saying we need the gospel on a daily basis because of the lies we hear from the culture around us, from Satan, because this is the truth. The gospel is the truth. Earlier in his book, He said, re-preaching the gospel and then showing how it applied to life was Paul's choice method to ministering to believers. Not the unbelievers, but the believers. Therefore, providing a divinely inspired pattern when ministering to myself and to other believers. How do we minister to other believers? We minister out of the gospel. We minister out of God's word. The gospel has to be the priority, it has to be the foundation of what we believe and we must daily re-preach the gospel to ourselves in order to realize and implement its instructions into our lives, in order to put those into practice. I see memes online on Facebook all the time, one of them is Jesus' disciples sitting out there and one of them is raising his hand, asking a question. Jesus, is this going to be on the final? Jesus, is this on the final exam? Is this important? Jesus, how many times he had said, You guys, come on, can't you get it? How many times did he say, Oh, you of little faith. We need to re-preach the gospel in order that we would believe. Jesus gave this example in Matthew chapter 7 found in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching his apostles. He's teaching those who are, are spread out. And he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, he's been teaching Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is all the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of Matthew 7, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, all of his teaching has been given, And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is talking about the foundation here. Then he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Again, what kind of foundation? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Are you building your foundation on the gospel message? On Jesus' words? Jesus came and proclaimed his words. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Gospel as the Word. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus contrasts what happens if you don't build on the right foundation. There's storms that come the rain that falls, the floods that push things completely out of their way, that wipe out buildings, and the winds blow, and they beat against that house. But one house stands and one house does not because of the foundation that it was built upon. This week was a struggle for me. Monday night, I went into our bathroom and I turned on a faucet. Turned on the hot water. Guess what came out? Not hot water. Came out cold. Uh Uh-oh, this isn't right. Oh, the pilot just went out. Went down, lit the pilot, started running. Okay, we're all good now, right? So I go to bed, wake up the next morning, go turn on the shower. Guess what comes out? Not hot water. water. Cold water. That's right. Uh Uh-oh, this is a bigger problem than what I thought. So I start calling people. Ended up coming and having the water heater replaced is basically what had to happen. So in the midst of all of that, my sister calls. Knew my parents weren't doing well. My dad wasn't doing well. My sister calls and says, Mom had to take Dad to the hospital. The storms of life, they're a reality. The rains come. The floods come, the winds come, and they beat against our beliefs. What is the most important thing when the storm comes? The most important thing is that you have a firm foundation. I was thinking about this week. What would I have done... If I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, what would I have done if I didn't have faith, if I didn't have hope? What would I have done if I wasn't a Christian? I have no idea. I've lived as a Christian most of my life. But I I would have had to think that I would have had no hope. I would have been awfully terrified. I would have been scared about what, what could happen, what the end would be. Yeah, there was still some of that. But because of my foundation, I knew who the one was in control. I know that God is sovereign over all, no matter what happens. And so what did I do? I prayed. And I prayed. And I prayed. And then you guys prayed and prayed and prayed. Thank you. Thank you for praying for my family. Thank you for being there, asking me how they're doing. In the midst of all that, there was a peace that God gave me, Paul writes in Philippians, a peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because I had a foundation of belief in him. Day during our communion service we remember the gospel remember what Jesus Christ did on our behalf the gospel works to transform our lives on a daily basis from salvation to eternity that's the importance of the gospel that the gospel needs to be your foundation when the storms of life hit, when the cares of this world seem to overwhelm, when the trials come in and take over, we have to study and read and preach and listen and meditate on the gospel for ourselves so that we can counter the sinful messages that we're telling ourselves So that we can counter the lies we hear from the world and the devil. The gospel is working to transform our lives as Christians on a daily basis. And that doesn't stop at salvation. It starts at salvation and continues. Until Jesus calls you home. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your gospel. God, may we as Christians keep it as our foundation. God, we as Christians make it the most important focus of our lives. That daily we're preaching to ourselves the gospel, the gospel message studying your word that we might understand it more. That it wouldn't just be words on pages, but we would take it and apply it on a daily basis as well. God, learning to love you more, learning to love others more, God, and proclaiming your gospel because like Paul, it's so ingrained in our lives that we can't help but speak it out to others. Pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen.